Getting the smile and confidence you've been dreaming about all from the comfort of your home isn't a total mystery with Bite Clear Aligners. Just don't be surprised if all your friends start asking, what's your secret? Begin by ordering your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95. Bite Clear Aligners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces, plus they offer flexible financing, accept eligible insurance, and you can pay with your HSA FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot Start your confidence journey today with Byte. CarMax is putting peace of mind back in car shopping by putting you in the driver's seat to find a ride that's right for you. Because at CarMax, we believe you shouldn't just settle for a car. You should love your car. That's why every car we sell is CarMax certified quality so you can be sure with upfront pricing that's the same for every customer. So don't settle. Find love at first drive and start shopping now at CarMax.com. CarMax, the way car buying should be. Hey guys, it's Mark Striegel of the Talking Metal Podcast. We are obviously in some crazy times right now. For me personally, not the best of times. You know, it's, uh, I don't know, it's fucked up out there right now and my kids are home from school I am kind of uh, I'm done working I'm into full survival mode trying to educate my kids trying to uh, order food online uh, I'm having trouble doing that have it delivered you know it's it's really uh, some strange times here in New Jersey of the United States of America and throughout the world. So I just wanted to mention that I'm not oblivious to it. I get it. We're, we're all in the same boat. It's completely nuts. All right. So let's, uh, let's do what we can to band together and get through this. And hopefully it'll be sooner than later. And I am confident that it will all return to normal it's gonna it's never gonna be normal again there's gonna be a new normal but i tell you when the rock returns when the tours return it's gonna be great it's gonna be even better because we are gonna have uh, missed it for for a short amount of time maybe a long amount of time i don't know so moving forward i'm gonna do as many talking metal podcasts as i can that might mean it, it's more than normal. It might mean it's two a week since I'm home, but it might mean it's less than normal. It might mean it's once every two weeks because honestly, I am balancing a lot of a lot of stuff as I know you all are, even though I can't leave my house. Uh, mostly a dog and, and two and two crazy kids. And um, you know Emily works from home, so she's thankfully for us still working or else we'd be really in trouble. Um, so that's kind of where I'm at. And I just wanted to say, moving forward, I'm not going to talk about COVID-19. I'm not going to talk about the fact that things are whacked out right now. I'm going to try to give you a podcast that is a, mm, let's see, something that takes your mind off of all this. I will continue to talk about things in the real world on my YouTube channel on the Mark Striegel podcast, which a lot of you patrons patrons get. But here on Talking Metal, we're going to keep things unreal. We're going to keep things in the fantasy world. And we go there a lot in this episode today. So I'm not going to mention any of this stuff for at least the next, let's say, three episodes. I'm just going to provide you with a normal Talking Metal podcast. And uh, that's that is a little escape from reality. 
We have uh, two friends on today's show. Uh, we got my friend John Wiederhorn, who has written some amazing books. We're going to talk to him about his books. And we have uh, a guy, I guess I'd call him a new friend. His name is Milton. He's a mysterious dude. He plays with a band called Jazz Sabbath, not to be confused with Black Sabbath. And I don't know what to make of this guy. Let me know what you guys think. He is definitely a, a weird character for, for weird times, right? <laughs> so let's check it out. Jazz Sabbath. And it's a good listen, man. If you haven't heard the Jazz Sabbath album yet that's about to drop, it is great. I got an advanced copy, and I, I really am really enjoying it. So, again, Milton from Jazz Sabbath will be joining us in just a bit. Here we go. Let's get into you this episode of the Dugging Middle Podcast. Hi, I'm Mark Striegel, host and producer of this show since 2005. On this episode, we're going to talk some rock, some metal, and anything else we feel like. We're also going to jam some tunes, have a drink, and share some honest opinions. Thanks for listening to the Talking Metal Podcast. Let's get things started. This is the Sean Baker Orchestra with Which Way to Radio Land.
All right, a little Sean Baker Orchestra here on the Talking Metal Podcast. That again is Sean Baker, as in Baker's Dozen, you know, Baker Orchestra. And that song, which you can listen to just about anywhere, is Which Way to Radioland? Support Sean Baker. He rocks. Sean, hope you're doing well out there. And without further ado, uh, this guy is, uh, he's out there, man. He's out there. His name is Milton, Milton Keynes. From the jazz trio, Jazz Sabbath, and he's got quite a story to tell. And I'll let you be the verdict on his uh, on his story. There's some people who think he's a fraud. There's some people who think he's a, a genius. And there's some people who think you know he he may have invented heavy metal, but it, but doing he did it in the jazz world. So so who knows what the real story is? But let's uh, let's get right into this interview right now with Milton Keynes from Jazz Sabbath. It's Mark Striegel of the Talking Metal Podcast, and on the line with me, we have a a lost legend, if you will, calling in from the band Jazz Sabbath, the one, the only Milton Keynes. Milton, how are you? Hey, man, I'm good, man. Mark, thanks for having me. You bet. You bet. I wanted to learn a little bit about you because I've read some stuff in the press about Jazz Sabbath, and it was about 50 years ago that jazz sabbath your band was set to release the uh the debut album but i guess at that point there was a health issue that you had and the album was i guess shelved is is that correct yeah that's pretty much what happened mark well yeah i mean back in the day i was uh i was kind of caning things quite hard as a lot of the musicians the jazz musicians did in the time um right yeah i was uh I didn't live life. I uh, I attacked it really. You know, so <laughs> I was drinking six or seven bottles of Pepto Bismol a day at one point. You know, my stomach ulcers were just in a mess. Um, but that led to a heart attack, and of course, while I was in hospital, the um, uh, the record company didn't know if I was going to survive, so they they shelved the album, and uh, you know that was the start of a pretty bad run of luck for me. And at some point, they must have realized, though, that you were going to survive, but they still just weren't as interested in releasing the album at that point. Well, the problem was uh, that the, um, the the record company offices uh, burned down, and the uh, the fire uh, destroyed all the uh, all the tapes, and um, and the record company then went bust. It was all, as I say, it was like a catalogue of uh, disasters. Wow. I mean, I, I'm going to use this opportunity if I can, Mark. If, yes. uh, if you don't mind, I. The owner of the record company was uh, was jailed for insurance fraud, but um, uh, I don't believe that was the case. I do think that that other band were responsible for uh, for an arson attack, which cost me my livelihood. And uh, that's me saying this. Uh, wow! So, so you're you're saying that the story was he he burnt the warehouse the warehouse down on purpose, but you personally believe that there was a another band that that may have burned the warehouse down specifically because the master tapes for Jazz Sabbath were in the warehouse? Well, I'm not going to say yes, but yes. Right. Okay. Well, I, All right. I, I did say yes. Yeah. That, I, that's, I mean, that's what I believe. I mean, my lawyer has uh, advised me otherwise, but, uh, you know, 
you got to, the truth's got to come out, Mark. I, I can't live this lie. You know, fifty wow. years later, uh, this this album needs to be heard. Absolutely, and we're talking to Milton from the jazz trio Jazz Sabbath, and I'm assuming, knowing what I've heard about Black Sabbath, maybe possibly stealing some of the ideas for their songs from your songs. I'm assuming you are saying that maybe members of Black Sabbath actually burnt the warehouse down? Well, I mean, that's the only logical explanation I, that I can think of. Um, because, or maybe somebody in their, in their management team or organization or, or, um, you know, somebody was instructed to do it because it's, uh, it, it just seems, it just seems a bit too coincidental, you know? Right, right on. Wow. So, Anyways, 50 years later, 2019, it's discovered that the master tapes were actually not destroyed in in the fire that may or may not have been set by Black Sabbath or their people. Um, what what do you remember about learning about that the, that the master tapes were, were still intact? And uh, why did it take so long for these tapes to be found? Well, the, there was a basement in the uh, record company offices, which, uh, which it turns out was uh, was sealed and wasn't destroyed in the fire. So the the the, um, the owner, the, the the new owner that bought the derelict buildings, uh, in two thousand nineteen, he was converting it into a um, a vegan pet shop, I believe, and uh, was, uh, <laughs> discovered discovered a, a collection of things down uh, down in this base, basement, this lost basement. Um, uh, including my tapes, so that's uh, that's how I was reunited, and uh, and the, the time is now. You know? Right on, right on, and the time is now. Again, the Jazz Sabbath record is set to finally see a release. Uh, is it is it out yet, Mil- Milton? When does it actually hit hit the streaming services and the stores? And uh, no, it should be. Uh, I think it's the twenty twenty uh, seventh of March. It uh, it comes out, and and this is the. You know, this is the lost album from uh, from uh, 1969. That was um, we've had to tidy a few things up, and I've called in a few uh, called in a few favors from some friends of mine to to come and uh, you know to help tidy things up. Right on, right on. I hear you. And the songs on the Jazz Sabbath album are songs that that most of us know as Black Sabbath songs. Now you claim that Sabbath took these songs from you, stole the songs from you. How, how did this happen if the album was actually n- never released? Do you remember them like showing up at your shows or how did they yeah, actually know they were, the songs? Well, the, I mean, they were always there. I mean, I remember seeing Geezer uh, Butler um, at, at quite a few shows, certainly down in uh, in Willesden at the Pig and Two Flutes. He would uh, he'd come down from Birmingham um, and uh, he would sit there with a, a chinzano and lemonade and a notepad. I, I wow. always thought that was weird. I just thought he was maybe working on some other stuff, but you know, it's pretty clear now that he was he was pretty much transcribing our our whole set and uh, getting together with Tony Iommi and um, and uh, and the rest is is unfortunately history. You know, it's uh, it's, it's just a, one tragedy after another. Right on, right on. And there's a great video online where you we talk about some of the song names and how you came up with them and stuff, which we will actually link through today's show notes on talkingrock.net and talkingmetal.com. So definitely go check that out, guys. Um, but once again, we're talking with Milton from Jazz Sabbath. And, you know, you mentioned Tony, you mentioned Geezer. Did, have you ever met, you know, Ozzy or Tony or Geezer? Well, listen, I've, I've been uh, trying to contact them for 50 odd years. I've, uh, I've, uh, some would 
some would say stalked them. Um, but uh, I'm just trying to get the truth told. I've written to them probably every uh, every ten days for uh, <laughs> for fifty years. For last 50. Yeah, pretty much. Wow. Um, and, uh, you know that takes time as well. You know that's it, it's uh, writing letters is uh, it's like writing music, man. It's kind of a lost art. So. Uh, um, I mean, I'm just hoping one day they might actually get in touch and, uh, you know, just uh, just an apology really is, is what I want. You're not looking for money or anything like that? Well, yeah, I'm looking for money as well, but uh, you can start with an apology and then we'll, uh, <laughs> right. we'll take it from there. Right, right on. Uh, so Jazz Sabbath was, uh, I, I'm, I guess, was a, a trio, right? Are, are the two other guys still yeah. around? Whatever happened to those two uh, other guys? Well, yeah, the... Um, I mean, the other guys, I don't really, uh, I don't really know, to be honest. I mean, uh, God, it's been, it's been so long. Jack's, uh, Jack, oh, I don't know. He must be in his hundreds now. So I haven't really been in touch with wow. him much. He's, he's, he's getting on a bit. Um, uh, we did actually, we did try a singer once, uh, to, um, to try and kind of, you know, give it a bit more of a commercial vibe. But, uh, to be honest, we ditched him cause he just sang over all my piano parts, uh, um, and one take as well, the, the, the drummer, I mean, I think he's still alive. He lives in Mexico somewhere, but uh, yeah, haven't heard from him for a bit. Right. So it, there, if you go out and do any live performances of this at this point, those two guys will obviously no longer be involved. Well, I can't say that for sure. Uh, I mean, I'd have to, uh, I'd have to try and reach out and, and, and see if they'd be interested, but that's a, it's a good idea to be honest. I hadn't, I hadn't really thought much about that. Right on, right on. Uh, Rick Wakeman is, I guess, known obviously best for the band Yes, working with Yes and being in Yes. He also did work with with Bowie and Sabbath and a, a long list of, uh, you know, really big name artists. And when I say Sabbath, I mean Black Sabbath, not Jazz Sabbath. Uh, there's rumors, though, he may have actually jammed with Jazz Sabbath or maybe even did some recording with Jazz Sabbath back in the day. Are these rumors true? And and what was Rick like if they if you do know Rick? Well, to be honest, it was we just needed somebody to uh, to come in. We were working on a second album at the same time um, as the first uh, debut album. And um, we wanted to get somebody in that, you know, had a bit of a, a bit of a name in the jazz world. And um, uh, well, he didn't really have a very good name, but he was uh, he was right. cheap, so we right. we got him in. And um, unfortunately, we had a bit of a a bit of a, a setback when um, we had a bit of an issue with uh, with providing some food for him, and he stormed out of the studio. So we didn't uh, we didn't actually get him to play on uh, on anything at all. He was uh, it was uh, a bit of a sad moment for me because I thought uh, I thought it could sort of take us to that that next sort of level, really. But um, anyway, he buggered off, and and that was that. So. Wow. Are, are you aware that his, his son, Adam Wakeman, actually has played with Black Sabbath and is in Ozzy's band? Are, are you aware of, of that? No, I, I'm not aware of, uh, aware of... What was his name? Adam Adam Wakeman. No, not, not never, familiar never with him. Never heard of him. him. I don't listen to a lot of music, to be honest. Oh, okay. All right. Um, and... Milton, I mean, no offense, but this is all kind of coming out of nowhere. And, and like, I, I've never heard of Jazz Sabbath. Uh, I've never heard of you. And what, what actually have you been up to these these past 50 years? Uh, aside from writing letters every uh, seven to 10 right. days, uh, <laughs> right. I, I've been doing a little, um, a little bit of work as a, as a gardener for, uh, for quite some time. Um, 
uh, I, st I still used to play a little bit just to keep my uh, keep my hand in. Uh, I used to play at a restaurant called Pizza Piazza in uh, in a, a town called Marlow um, in west out of London. And okay. I used to play there with a guitar player called Chester Draws, who I uh, who guests actually on the album. So it's, oh, okay. Um, it's uh, yeah, I mean, just a few gigs here and there. But to be honest, um, I've been trying to get this story told for fifty years, and I'm so grateful, uh, you know, for uh, for journalists like yourselves to um, to get involved and try and you know try and uh, tell the truth, tell the true story. Right on, right on. Well, it's uh, at times it, it seems like a, a sad and tragic story here, but we're glad that the album is finally going to see the light of day. Again, Jazz Sabbath. We're talking with. Milton Keynes, the pianist of the of the trio known as Jazz Sabbath. Are you guys uh, or you, Milton, on social media? Do you do like Facebook and Instagram and that type of stuff? Uh, well, there's there's some uh, some uh, minions in the office that do all that kind of thing. To be honest, I don't I don't have a computer um, or a phone, so uh, it's kind of down to um, down to the other people, the the record company. But uh, jazzsabbath.net apparently is uh, is where you can find uh, find stuff. So that's that's the place to go. Cool. And as we mentioned, the songs on the record are, are songs that most of us know as Black Sabbath songs. Could you run down some of the titles for us? What what songs are actually on there? Well, it's obviously Rat Salad and uh, Fairies Wear Boots, uh, Iron Man, uh, another another kind of classic of ours that was uh, stolen. Um, Children of the Grave uh, is uh, is obviously a big one, um, and uh, there's a couple of changes which uh, we changed the title to that one quite a few times. So, uh, uh, but it did end up as changes on the record. So there's, <laughs> okay, uh, right. So there's, there's a meaning behind that. Huh? It, there is. We. I mean, I, I saw talking uh, in quite in depthly in the documentary. I don't know if you've uh, seen that with uh, yes. Robert Robert Powell is. Uh, uh, you know, again, helping to uh, to bring the truth to the masses, and um, uh, yeah, we discussed some of the titles on the film, which is which is good. Awesome. Well, it's been an honor talking with you, Milton, and the best of luck with Jazz Sabbath finally seeing the light of day over fifty years since you guys uh, originally recorded it and wanted it to be released. So I'm I'm glad for you that this is finally coming out, and best of luck to you, Milton. Brilliant. Thanks, Mark.
Oh, yeah, a little Jazz Sabbath right there on Talking Metal. The debut album, missing for 50 years, has been found, and it's going to be out shortly, guys. Uh, check it out on all your streaming services. And, yeah, Jazz Sabbath, finally seeing the light of day after 50 years. Big thanks to Milton for joining me. And right now, you know, I, I, I want to get into some Ozzy Osbourne. This is a song called Hand of the Enemy, written by Ozzy Osbourne, Kevin Churko, and Adam Wakeman. This is going back already 10 years ago off the Scream record. Ozzy, of course, is a, a new record out, which I've spoken about, and I, I dig the new record, Ordinary Man. But this, again, is another album that I dig by Ozzy, Scream. And uh, this was uh, actually one of the like bonus tracks. I think they, it was wasn't on the original release of Scream. It was on the like tour edition or something like that. I guess maybe it was a leftover track or something. But anyways, it's called Hand of the Enemy.
Ozzy Osbourne here on Talking Metal, and I want to get into my interview with John Wiederhorn, who is a great author and a good friend of mine from Montclair, New Jersey, formerly, I think, of Brooklyn, New Jersey. But first, let's get into Shattered by Saving.
some brand new Sabi here on Talking Metal. Uh, some great rockin' hard rock metal out of Bulgaria. And that one goes out to my good friend Stephen Saylor, who requested that. Stephen is one of our patrons on Patreon. I encourage you to join us on Patreon. It's a good hang on Patreon. And you support Talking Metal. You support what I'm doing by joining us on Patreon. And a uh, big shout-out to Stephen Rodriguez, who also just uh, joined us on Patreon. Glad to have you join the party of uh, of the patrons on Patreon, St- Steve Rodriguez. I appreciate that. Did I say Stephen Rodriguez? It's Stephen Saylor, Steve Rodriguez, I believe. And Steve, I'm going to play a song for you in a minute. But before I do that, uh, I did want to mention John Wiederhorn, an interview with John Wiederhorn coming up shortly here on Talking Metal. But right now, let's get into a song by... Odometer? Odometer? I think Odometer, right, Steve? I I think that's how it's pronounced. O-D-O-M-E-T-R. And this song is called Time to Shine, and I'm sending this out to Steven. No, not Steven. Steve Rodriguez, who has uh, now joined us on Patreon.
Rodriguez. That one is for you. Time to Shine by Odometer here on Talking Metal. Thank you for joining us. And without further ado, we're going to get into my interview with my friend John Wiederhorn, a guy who I've hung out with many times, I've jammed with, I've drinking, uh, drunk at drinking, I've drank many a beers with. Uh, he's a great guy and he has some excellent books. So let's uh, talk with my friend John Wiederhorn right now here on Talking Metal. Hey, it's Mark Striegel of the Talking Metal Podcast and calling in once again. Uh, I know we've had him on the show at least two or three times before. John Wiederhorn. John, how are you? I'm doing okay, Mark. How are you? I'm doing good. I'm doing good under the circumstances. We obviously have a lot of a crazy stuff going on in the world right now and people are kind of hunkering down staying home and what better time uh than now to read a book (laughs) because that's what i'm doing i got a couple books going and i gotta tell you your new book raising hell is is one of them and wow it's great some really great stories in this book it is again raising hell backstage tales from the lives of metal legends and there is some juicy stuff in this book some fun stuff let's talk a little bit about where this uh idea for the book came from, John? Sure thing. Uh, about seven years ago, I did a, uh, a book that was an oral history of metal called uh, Louder Than Hell. I read uh, that one, too. Oral history yeah. of metal. Yeah, and, and um, that was a, a great foot-in-the-door kind of situation, and uh, it outlined metal and the history of the genre from the 60s to the present day. Um, but my favorite parts of it weren't the parts that explained how metal has evolved or what albums were important. It was really what was going on behind the scenes and how the cultures of the uh, different genres or subgenres were uh, um, you know, kind of colorful and uh, uh, displayed the lifestyle at the times and how they differed from one another. Um, you know, there were a lot of great... Uh, I guess sex, drugs, and rock and roll stories, for lack of a of a better right, <laughs> explanation. Right. But I thought, wow, you know, I mean, everybody loves that stuff, and for me, if that stuff has a really good story or a twist ending or great details, then then that's what I, I find really enjoyable. So I thought, you know, it'd be really cool to get a book together that just had a bunch of great stories. You know, just. Uh, Kind of the stuff that that uh, bandmates talk about when they're when they're uh, together and not working on music and just having a couple beers and laughs, and uh, put that all together in these different chapters that are each separated um, to focus on one aspect each of the metal lifestyle. When it, you know, whether it's uh, uh, crazy things that happen on the road or uh, the dangers of uh, of touring or you know mishaps on stage down to the to the basic uh you know alcohol uh, stories um strange experiences with uh, with the occult or paranormal um and then everything's divided up so the groupies chapter is called girls 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 which is of course a Molly Crew song and everything is named after a song or some aspect of of metal there's one chapter named after after an album and one is called that was spinal tap and that's that's kind of uh right. self-explanatory but it, it's, it was one of my favorite chapters because i've always i've always asked artists uh you know tell me your best spinal tap story yeah and when they don't say oh we got lost under a stage once which is kind of a snooze sometimes they come up with some really really funny uh, and and odd 
um, anecdotes that, that very well could have been in uh, the movie. Right, absolutely. And again, the the amount of people you have in this book is is staggering. I mean, and we're talking big name artists, you know, bands like Black Sabbath, Judas Priest, Slayer, Megadeth, Anthrax, Pantera, but also like lesser known artists too. And how did how did you determine whose stories made the cut? It was just the best well, stories having... win? Could because I mean there's some I have to admit, there's a few names in the book. When I was reading I was like I was like uh who is this person? Like Primitive Man, I remember, like they're in the book, and and I had to kind sure. of remind myself about who they were. But their their story was great, you know. So it was still very entertaining to read, even though I didn't actually know who they were. Right. Yeah. Well, that was that was part of my goal. Um, I've been interviewing artists for so long that I've gotten a uh, a pretty good handle on on which have great stories and uh, which give good interviews. Uh, as much as I love Iron Maiden. There was really no need to go to any of the members and ask them if they would contribute to the book because they generally don't tell outrageous tales. I'm sure they have funny stories to tell. I'm not. I'm not doubting that. But they're polite English gentlemen who, you know, really don't uh, spill the tea. I guess as the kids, the kids say these days. Um, so I, I kind of cherry picked who I wanted to talk to, and uh, for instance. I knew that John Gallagher from Raven had uh, always is, is a great interview and has amazing stories to tell and has been doing this for so long. And while the average metalhead might not know Raven, they were a significant group from the new wave of British heavy metal scene. And, uh, you know, they did some great songs and are, are, are worth knowing. Um, kind of on a same, same uh, direction, there's a fellow named King Fowley from a band called Deceased. And uh, Deceased are lesser known. You know, they were on uh, Relapse Records, and uh, I think they're on Hell's Headbangers now. So, you know, they're, they're much more obscure, but the guy is just a treasure trove of, of wild stories and has absolutely lived the, uh, uh, you know, the, the hard life of, of, uh, of metal excess and, and, and especially debauchery and right. ho- holds no punches when it comes to, uh, <laughs> telling really grisly and, uh, harrowing and hilarious stories in great detail. So, um, I, I knew who could tell a great story, uh, before I went in and asked them if they'd, uh, if they'd contribute to the book and, uh, the the ground rules were pretty much that look, I don't want to throw anyone under the bus. You know, is it, this is just a fun, a fun book which reveals a little bit about metal culture and a lot of ha- you know has a lot of great stories, be they uh, really really funny or or kind of chilling. But you know, I don't think anyone's going to be uh, screaming for their lawyers. At least I hope not. <laughs> I think uh, you know, it, it, there's there's nothing that's that's revealed that's um, that's, I think, defaming or embarrassing in any way. Right, right on. And you got Gary Holt to write the the intro. That's pretty cool. Exodus Slayer guitarist, Gary Holt. Uh, how did that come about? Oh, it was great. Um, I, I've known Gary for a while, and uh, he's another one of those characters who, who just always gets great interviews and uh, doesn't hold back when it comes to what he's experienced in uh, – in life with uh, Slayer and Exodus and certainly the San Francisco Bay Area thrash scene. So, you know, he was uh, running around with Paul Bailoff, the members of Metallica, 
and uh, even guys from Death Angel when they were really young, and uh, they were just wreaking havoc at house parties in San Francisco. And he's talked about them. He spoke. He he told me a lot of the stuff when I did Louder Than Hell. He gave me some great details about some great stories. So I knew, you know, aside from other interviews I'd done with him, I I knew that he he just had these great anecdotes. And uh, since he's specialized in destruction and mayhem with a, a wry sense of humor over the years. I thought he'd be really good to uh, get in touch with and, and see if he was interested in doing the intro for the book. And he, and he was, which was, uh, you know, I was, I was thrilled about. Yeah, absolutely. And some of your other books, I just want to touch upon because you, you mentioned uh, louder than hell, the definitive oral history of heavy metal. Uh, great read. I really enjoyed that. I read that a while ago at this point. Um, the Anthrax, the Scott Ian one, uh, I'm, I'm the man, I'm right? the man. Yeah. The story of that guy from Anthrax. That was another great one. And in that book, you, there's a, a story that I always think of where Al Jorgensen from ministry keeps showing up at their gigs. Do you know what I'm talking about? <laughs> yeah. And, and that inspired me then. Uh, to eventually read the book that you wrote with Al Jorgensen, which I have to admit, I know it's been out a while, but I only recently read it, uh, Ministry, The Lost Gospels, According to Al Jorgensen. And, man, what an insane story and book that is. I know we're here to talk about the new book, Raising Hell, but I do have to give big shout-out and props to that book because it's, it's, it's so over-the-top that I have to, I have to admit to you, there's times when I'm reading it, it's like, is this actually what happened, or is this just the way Al remembers it? I mean, did you get that at all when he relayed these stories to you? I mean, because there's some that are just so out there. Yeah, yeah, that's why I called it The Lost Gospels, according to Al Jerkins. Right, okay. And throughout okay. the book, I have interviews with, with his dad, uh, other band members uh, that he'd been with, uh, people who he'd tour with, and they all told their own stories, some of which slightly contradicted what Al said. And uh, I'm not implying that, that these are all fabrications, but uh, through much of the time period that we're discussing here, you know, he was in the throes of heroin addiction. And uh, I think for a lot of addicts who are really caught up in uh, in, in the addiction, the day-to-day kind of falls by the wayside. So 30 years later, especially, I mean, I, I kept trouble remembering what I ate for breakfast a week ago, so, although it was probably cereal. Um, but, you know, for, right. for someone who's had, had a serious drug addiction, it's hard to remember what happened in the studio or on the road. And a lot of them kind of reinvent their histories. It's interesting. Right. Um, so they sort of piece together, you know, where they were, what might have happened, and, and some of them come up with these. I mean, he lived an outrageous life. Fortunately, he's... He's clean now and and hopefully sober again. He's been been on and off, um, but live still tremendous. I saw Ministry with Slayer at the last uh, a tour they did, and it was incredible um, right. for both bands. But uh, yeah, so so um, it was a, a combination of things, and I wanted to do it because I knew that uh, Al is a really smart guy and an extremely funny guy, uh, and also very self-deprecating. He's hilarious. So, I mean, there's yeah. times when I'm read when I read that book, and I only just again recently finished it, where I Emily, my wife, would be like, well, "What? What's so funny?" Because I would be laughing at the stories. <laughs> I mean, it, it was it was really there there. It was really one of the 
and funniest books, or at least I got, it was almost like watching an episode of, you know, Larry David. I just start busting out laughing out loud. You know, it's like, uh, it, you know, it's, it's really, it's funny. Yeah. I mean, that's a good, good thing. Yeah, no, I, that's what it was meant to be. Cause his, his stories are so insane. He tells them in such a way that they're hysterical, but at the same time, so much of them are filled with tragedy and and like oh my god how did you live through that type of uh um you know verbiage so um the way that came to be was really interesting um i'd interviewed him for louder than hell and uh i'd asked him about some of his crazy stories after we talked about the the significance of industrial metal and ministry's role in inventing it or pioneering it and uh he's like man you know i'm i'm living in the uh, a suburb of Texas now, and you know my neighbors know who I am, and everyone uh, uh, appreciates me as a local rock star, and they don't know what I've done or my history or anything about all that. And so I don't, I, you know, I, I, I don't want to tell you too much crazy stuff. I'm like, okay, he's like, but if you want to come to El Paso and hang out with me, you know, I could tell you stories that'll have you pissing yourself, but right, you can't, right. can't write about them. And I went. Oh, man, what a great offer, but if I can't get a story out of it and, you know, I'm ditching my family for a few days to, to fly to Texas on my dime, I don't, I don't know if I can accept. So sadly, I turned it down. And then I had another interview with him for a magazine in which he did tell some wild stories. He made the same offer, and I said, look, the minute you give me the, uh, the go-ahead to write your, your official autobiography, I'm there. And he's like, yeah, you know what? Let's do it. Right. And I was like, really? And uh, yeah, I don't regret it at all, although there were times that it was completely harrowing, and it was two weeks that I'm lucky I survived. But really? <laughs> uh, it was, well, there was just a lot of, lot of drinking and right. a lot of smoking and, and uh, yeah. some, some, some harrowing moments, but it was a lot of fun. And, uh, he, and it's, a, uh, it's a fun read, too. The, fun read. Yeah, yeah, thanks. Good stuff. So that's, that's one of the books I'm, I'm, I don't know about most proud of, but my goal was to uh, tell a tale that was completely outrageous and, and, and had stories that would be perhaps on par with uh, something like, like Neil Strauss's um, The Dirt, Molly right. Crew book. Um, and while it wasn't as kind of dirty, raunchy, I think it was, uh, uh, you know, when it comes to drug anecdotes and, and uh, just wild experiences, I think it, it, it paralleled that, that type of, uh, of over the topness. Right. Yeah. I mean, the, just all the stories. I've, what's the guy, the, the old heroin addict guy, William Burroughs. Is that who? The, yeah. Yeah. That's yeah, a great was, story in there. And I, I don't want, want to spoil it for the talking metal listeners, but that is just outrageously great uh even like the little th the the trent Reznor thing where they like what they like borrow his four track and trash it or something like that yeah uh, and they're the, throwing firecrackers at him on the bus when he was there right they're their roadie and <laughs> poor guy yeah um i i think they've made nice over the years but for a while there was a little bit of <laughs> i think friction between them right um yeah, he, but, he speaks highly of him in the book, though, from what I mm -hmm. remember. Yeah, yeah, good stuff. Anyways, 
Raising Hell, the brand new book by John Wiederhorn, Backstage Tales from the Lives of the Metal Legends, of Metal Legends. And then, of course, we were just talking about the uh, Lost Gospels, according to Al Jorgensen, another great read. And, of course, there's I'm the Man, the story of that guy from Anthrax. That's, that's a real fun read, too, the Scott Ian story that you did with him. And, of course, uh, Louder Than Hell, the definitive oral history of metal. And what else? I'm missing some, right? Yeah, the Agnostic Front uh, singer, Roger Moret. Uh, I did a book with him, and that one's uh, called My Riot. Okay. Uh, Agnostic Front, Grit, Guts, and Glory. And uh, for those who don't know Agnostic Front, they were a, uh, a pioneering band in the in the New York hardcore scene. So um, the, the frontman, Roger, was a uh, major player in, in helping to put the uh, the New York punk scene together, not the punk scene, the hardcore scene, which came right. afterwards. And, you know, it, it was really composed of a lot of uh, characters that were disenfranchised and had horrible home lives and really lived on the street. And they formed this community. Uh, everything else, sh- you know, everyone else shunned them. Their families generally didn't accept them. And they, uh, they formed this, this community, and they lived in these squats all along the Lower East Side, which at the time, you know, in the, the Bowery and, and uh, the village, was really dilapidated and, and dangerous. And it was a kind of war zone with, with gangs and drugs, and, and um, these people were, were right in the middle of it, and they had these clubs that would be open all night, and they just would form bands and go in and perform. And uh, what I thought was re- really interesting about about that was uh, when when you talk to most rock guys, uh, you know, the worst things that will have happened to them will have been maybe I assaulted a photographer or, or maybe uh, I was, you know, caught drunk driving and I did a night, night in jail and it was so horrible and, you know, I, I, I barely made it through the evening and boo-hoo. And, you know, yeah, it's, that, I wouldn't right. want to have that happen to you. But when you compare it to someone like this guy from Agnostic Front, um, who to survive had to sell drugs and uh, wound up getting busted with uh, a large amount of, uh, of cocaine uh, in his car. Uh, he did a year and a half in jail. And wow. as a uh, Hispanic uh, immigrant, um, there was a, a you know, Cuban, he, he was facing possible uh, extradition or... Uh, or a, a lifetime sentence in a federal prison. So uh, he, he got a good lawyer, and after a year and a half did get off because it was a clear case of entrapment. But uh, he tells the story of being in prison, and it's very much, you know, um, what was that show that HBO had that Evan Seinfeld was in Oz? And it's, it's the real, you know, it's the real deal. He, was, he had to pick sides. Uh, who to align himself with so he could survive gang fights. He had shanks that uh, he had to hide in order to to uh, grab. In, in the event that there was a, a major attack, he was he was told to throw acid in someone's face at one point. Uh, not not the kind that you know trips you out for days, but the kind that uh, burns, burns and scars uh, you. <laughs> burns flesh down to the down to the bone. Yeah. Wow. So it was. You know, fortunately, he didn't have to do it, but uh, in the end, but but he he really went through this harrowing ordeal, and and um, has also been a key figure in this in this music scene. So, 
to me, it was just an amazing story and that he's been able to survive all of that and is still in the band and making music and, you know, thriving. I, I, uh, I always look for stories. If I'm going to do a book with someone, I, I want someone who, who has lived uh, a life that's been, been filled with contrast and uh, kind of triumph in the face of adversity. Um, so, I mean, so many musicians have that story, but uh, the ones in particular that I've worked with seem to be really uh, uh, good examples of, of, of that. And, and the triumph part of it, I think, really, the redemption um, makes it uh, not a Hollywood ending, but gives it, makes it less dark, I suppose. It gives you a light at the end of the tunnel. Cool, cool. Well, again, John, thanks for joining us here on the Talking Metal podcast. I did want to uh, ask you about something you told me the other day, and I can edit this out if it's top secret or something, but you said you were in the city um, a couple days ago with Kirk Hammett of Metallica fame. What was going on there? Anything you can share with us? Yeah, yeah. Actually, it was all about uh, Kirk and... uh, the greeny guitar, the, the Peter Green legendary guitar that he bought a couple of years ago, and oh. uh, he recently played it at a Peter Green benefit. I read and that. This was for, uh, yeah, this is for a cover story for Guitar World that should be out in about a month and a half. Um, and Kirk's just great. He's uh, thoughtful and interesting. Uh, it's not a Metallica article, but it does very much focus on him as a guitar player and as an artist and discusses his inspirations and his influences and, and this one particular guitar and the, the history that it's had. It was originally owned by Peter Green, who, of course, was a founding member of the original Fleetwood Mac back when they were kind of a gritty, bluesy uh, rock band, very dark, and uh, you know, certainly not the, the group that evolved later with... Uh, you know, Stevie you can Nicks, go your own yeah. way, and and uh, all those all, all the big hits, the Rumors album, and uh, but it was a, a different uh, era for the band, and um, he Peter Green kind of went insane. He, right. he had a uh, very Sid Barrett esque yeah yeah you know a combination of mental illness and 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 drug abuse and it got to the point where you know people like wouldn't recognize him in in, in public or he would just do outrageous things or say crazy stuff talk to himself and really couldn't couldn't continue um with the band but but was legendary in his own in his own right and he had this guitar greenie that he played uh it was a 55 les paul 59 one of those classic amazing years and uh it eventually ended up in the hands of gary moore and uh, Gary played it throughout his career, including uh, Thin Lizzy Records. Um, and there's some great history uh, about what happened while it was in the ownership of, of uh, Gary Moore, who eventually sold it, and it ended up in uh, in Kirk Hammett's hands. And he tells the whole the whole story of the guitar and how it really changed his playing. He views it as this very inspirational vehicle. He played a lot of solos and uh, hardwired to self-destruct using his guitar. And he says when he picks it up, it, it almost plays him. It speaks to him, and it, it not like 
talking to him Peter Green style, but you know it's right. Uh, That's amazing it, though. It, so the same guitar is on Fleetwood Mac records, was used on Thin Lizzy records, and also Metallica records. The same actual guitar, right? Yeah. That's yeah, the, the wow. That's guitar. crazy. That's awesome. Yeah, no, it's it's pretty amazing. So uh, we talked about the whole the whole history of of that, and then uh, touched on his uh, fascination with guitars and the horror based guitars that he that he right. created, and uh, his interest in, in in horror and why and where that stemmed from. And um, it was it was good. It was a really good in- interview. Uh, cool. It's funny when they tell you. Yeah, sure. We we'll, we'd love you to do a cover story on Kirk Hammett, but you can't talk about Metallica. Right. <laughs> you know? Right. So, yeah, I worked with it, uh, I worked with Kirk once when uh, for VH1. He mm-hmm. the Metallica guys they won't go on podcasts apparently, or so I'm told. It's like uh, they don't do podcasts. Somebody in their management told me. But anyways, when I was at VH1, I had the opportunity to work with him for some packages for vh1.com and some like behind the scenes stuff on that metal show and he was like the nicest guy but we got that same line uh you can talk, ask him anything you want just not about metallica you know so it was kind of funny right yeah no he he would bring it up from time to time and then it was fair game but i have no idea whether on the in the process of working on the next record or what's happening with james or just none of that because it just wasn't it uh, wasn't germane to the story, and it was also off limits, and I have to respect that. So right, right on, cool. Well, John, as always, great talking with you. Uh, stay safe out there, and folks, definitely pick up "Raising Hell" backstage tales from the lives of metal legends by John Wiederhorn. It's the perfect time, in my opinion, to uh, dive into some some reading, and this is definitely a book that we recommend here on the Talking Metal podcast. Thank you, John. Yeah, thanks so much. And I think I think it's a book that's fun. And uh, in these times of turmoil and and uh, you know uncertainty, it's it's a love letter to metal fans, and it's really escapist. Um, and I I my goal was to really just kind of make it a, a laugh out loud read that you could just pick up and and read any chapter because it, it's there's no sequence. It's just a bunch of stories and quotes. Right on. Cool. Well, thanks again for your time, and I'm sure I'll see you soon. Yeah, thanks so much for having me, and you stay safe, too.
Some classic ministry here on Talking Metal off the Filth Pig record. The title track, Filth Pig. I love that record. I saw Ministry for the first time on that tour back in 1996 at Roseland. It was an awesome show. One of my favorites, actually. And I I wish they put that one back in the set set list, Ministry. Uh, We have tickets to see him this summer in Montclair, the same town uh, John Wiederhorn lives in. I've seen him play Montclair, too, before, and they were excellent. So hoping that happens, hoping all our concerts come back to us full steam this summer. And on that note, uh, again... I'm going to wrap it up. Let's remember to support John Wiederhorn by his new uh, his new book, Raising Hell. What a better time than now uh, than to read a book, right? I don't know if that makes any sense, but there's no better time than now, I guess is what I'm trying to say, than, than now to read a book. Especially if you don't have kids, uh, you'd be able to really relax <laughs> and enjoy yourself. Uh, I'm, I'm like just, I'm trying to educate my kids and feed my kids and everything else. So I'm, I'm more than stressed out, but... Uh, as I mentioned, I'm not going to talk about that stuff anymore. So let's uh, let's call it a day here on Talking Metal. Thanks, guys. Best of luck to all you guys. And uh, again, we're going to keep it rocking here with the Talking Metal podcast. I'll talk to you when I talk to you, hopefully sooner than later. <laughs>